have Doug Showalter. Hello. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me in your basement. Yes, of course. Are you the first person from Kokomo to win a Grammy? Well, I just want to set the record straight that I have was a part of a Grammy-winning album, but I did not get a Grammy for my work on the album. However, two weeks ago on my front porch, I did get a platinum record. Congratulations. With my name on it, which is one of two platinum records that I have in my studio. Um, So that's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about that. But I'm very proud to be involved with um, Harry's House. Um, But yeah, I do not actually have a Grammy. Okay. Not yet. But you were a part of a Grammy winning album. Yes. Yes. Definitely. And you are from Kokomo. Absolutely. Yes. All facts. Yeah, born and raised. In fact, I think it, it, it will be, I moved away from Kokomo in 2005 so I was 23. I just turned 41. So I still have spent more of my life in Kokomo than not in Kokomo. So it's not until I'm 46 that I'll even just hit like an even mark in my life where I've been away. So still the great majority of my life was spent there. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. This is this is this podcast, The Poptimist, has maybe more people on from Kokomo than any other podcast. That is a very that is an honor that Somebody needs to have, and it well, might as well be you. My goal one day is to get a key to the city. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's what my possible. goal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like I've I've represented this whole time. You know. There you go. Right, it's yeah. it's right definitely a place like I think. Obviously, as as cliche as it sounds, it's like you get older, you appreciate things more. X Y Z. But it's definitely the kind of place that I could definitely see like people who know people from Kokomo and go and visit, I could see them really liking Kokomo. Yeah. That makes sense to me for yeah. some odd reason. Because it is kind of like a unique place. I do, And obviously, I think like most places in America or really around the world, it's like there's just more people. And I think as different, I think there is like a gener- the generation of like elder millennials that maybe are having kids later. So people are opening all these businesses. So I do think there is just more to do in most cities. And I think Kokomo, because I I remember when I was like 21 growing up there, there really wasn't like much to do other than like play music. So I do feel like now it's like, I don't know, there's a little bit more of a scene, it seems like for like creative people and stuff to do. So you left when you were 23. Where did you go? I moved to LA. Okay. So I, um, I graduated from Kokomo High School in 2001. And then I wanted to go to Ball State, but I was like a really terrible student. So I didn't even, I actually got denied to Ball State. I wanted to be in the telecommunications program and they said no. So I applied to IUK, which of course I got in. And uh, I went there for four years. I graduated with a degree in corporate communications. And then after that, I moved to LA to go to Musicians Institute. Okay, what was Musicians Institute like? So the uh, it, was, it was really great. I mean, it's definitely still there. I think... Um, the school that I went to there was called GIT, the Guitar Institute. I mean, at that time and even now, I they, they have so many different programs. You can go there for drums, for bass, keyboards, production, singing, music business. Um, so that was definitely like there was like one guy I met there named Nate Lotz who I met like just posting on one of those like message boards. I was like, I want to be in a band and my favorite bands are Coheed and Cambria and Mars Volta and King Crimson. And this guy, Nate, responded to that. And then it was through him that I met Tyler Johnson and Cam and all these people that are a big part of my life today. So I really look at like moving there was definitely the start of like, I just felt like growing up in Kokomo, I I took music really seriously. And I definitely think of, I worked at Sound of Music for four years all through college. I guess I consider that like the beginning of my music career, just because I was like around good musicians and I was like super into it. So when I moved to LA, it was like, 
I was definitely very focused and was like, I think in 2005, my version of having a career in music was like, well, I know people will give me money to play guitar. So I moved there to, to do that. So what was it like when you first moved there? Were you kind of down in the trenches working shit, day jobs and stuff like that when you first got to LA? No, I took out a bunch of student loans um, and I lived, I mean, you know, this was like mid 2000s. So I think it, I mean, I guess compared to other places, it was like very expensive. But I mean, I think it was like way less expensive then than it is now to live there. And I got an apartment like in Hollywood. I mean, it's just the stars all kind of aligned in a weird way. I had a guitar student at um, Sound of Music whose dad was a pilot. And I just was like, hey, I need to fly to L.A. to like look at this apartment. And, uh, you know, if if I, I wasn't even asking for anything for free, I was like, if you could just if there's any way you can help me out. And he ended up getting me like me and um, my friend, Andrew Rossborough, who moved there with me, like free first class tickets there and back. And I literally That's went sweet. to LA for a day, looked at the place, got it, and then flew back. And then, so when I got there, I just took out a bunch of money for student loans, like I just said, and um, just sort of like, I taught some guitar lessons. I would actually take a Greyhound bus up to Bakersfield, which is like, if you know that part of California, it's like a hundred miles away. So it's not like a short trip because I had a friend that lived there. I'd go there and teach lessons, but it definitely wasn't to like buy food. It was, I think it was just to get out of the city and to do, I just, again, just a bunch of student loan money. Yeah. So that Bakersfield is out in the desert, right? Yeah. That's where Merle Haggard is from, right? Uh, Buck Owens. Buck Owens is what's really popular for Bakersfield. Okay. He's like the Bakersfield country sound is Buck Owens. Yeah. 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 And Merle's from California too, right? I think so. Yeah, I'm not for sure. I, I think his family I, is originally from uh, from Oklahoma, but uh, that makes sense. I think he was from California, which is kind of funny because you don't think of Merle Haggard as being someone from California. Yeah, well, I think Bakersfield. I think it's like the Bakersfield sound, and I and I think, <clears throat> I mean, I, I I loosely know the history of this, but I believe that was sort of where like the the prominent use of electric guitar was sort of I think that's a lot of what Buck Owens was doing okay and, um, for sure so I, I mean I think that's part of that I've actually played at the um Buck Owens Crystal Palace a bunch of times and it's a very like kitschy sort throwback. of throwback yeah it's kind of a freaky little place a very freaky colorful place um very cool I've got um when I was touring with Cam we played there a bunch of times I I did an opening set as a DJ for Cam on a tour and I I got to perform there um, as well. Yeah. It's a Bakersfield definitely has like a special place in my heart. So I would go there and like, but yeah, like thinking back to it, it was like kind of crazy, like to drive a hundred miles to like teach a couple guitar lessons, you know, but it's all about that grind. How did you meet Cam? So when I was living in LA, I would say that the, I lived in a bunch of different places, but the part of town that I lived in where I really felt like I kind of found my way and found my people was a, a part of town called Los Feliz. Some people say Los Feliz. Um, I moved into this apartment building with my friend Banna and Tyler had hit me up kind of randomly around 2009 and was like, Hey, I want to hire you to play guitar on something. And then we just happened to live in the same apartment building. Like he literally lived like right above me. It'd be like, if here's Doug's here in the basement and Tyler's up there. Oh, like wow. in the house. Yeah. That's like how close we were. So it was just like, well, this is just serendipitous and kismet. So like he, I went up there, we started like working together. Definitely. We're both kind of like. He was starting to produce, and I was like doing gigs and stuff, but also producing people. So he had a roommate that was dating Cam. And so Cam would kind of come around, and then she wanted to do some music. 
And so Tyler brought me in to like play guitar on some of her demos and stuff. And we just got along really well. And then we were actually roommates at one time um, for maybe like six months or so. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of stayed in touch and had, you know, my friend Anders, I went to GIT with, I kind of, I introduced her to him and they began writing songs together and he definitely had way more of like the authentic country thing than I did. Um, growing up in Kokomo, I always heard country, but I feel like, again, just sort of an era where I was like very like. I definitely had like my taste that I was like very allegiant to and country. I like, I definitely loved songs like strawberry wine and wide open spaces. Great songs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I swear, even though the, I feel like the country version of I swear, I remember really liking the R and B all for one version. Oh, yeah. when it was Oh out. yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking back, I actually think I've always loved songs. Like, you know, as you kind of like dig back to music from your youth, it's like, I used to be such like a, an elitist with music where I was just like, I only want the most like underground shit. Can I cuss? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I just like, my tastes were so specific to something that maybe felt like it had some sort of integrity. But now I look back on a lot of that stuff and I'm just like, shit, like my favorite songs are kind of the hits, right? You know, with some exceptions. So I guess that's my way of saying in meeting cam, like really, I didn't know much about country music, but like in my time working with her between like, from like 2011 till I stopped touring with her in 2018, I definitely got a crash course in yeah. like country. And now, I mean, there's so much country music that I that, that I love. That's so interesting that you said that because I grew up in like a bluegrass family where it was just always there. Yeah. But when I was younger, my older sister, I was always kind of listening to what she listened to mm-hmm. and Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, all these like big pop songs. I, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great, and it was kind of kind of made me think of the same thing. Like, well, ultimately, they're just good songs. And- yeah, and, and when you look back, and I mean, and I think there's a reason why that stuff is just kind of getting recycled again, and people. Re- and I think probably a hundred. I think there's so many. I I think a hundred years from now, like when we're all dead, like I think people will still be like celebrating Jimi Hendrix. Oh, and totally. Kurt Cobain oh, yeah, and, and, definitely. You know, and and who knows what else. ICP. Yeah. ICP. <laughs> yeah, no, no. De- definitely coming into this interview, I was just like, man, I, I've definitely been on. I don't know what it is. I think it's more like, so my love of music definitely comes from my dad. My dad is like a very casual hoarder who like definitely like growing up, like any sort of interest that I had, he just would like, like any good dad I, I think he would like really support what my interests were and he loved music but he didn't really like, he played a little guitar but I think he just, you know, I mean, man, when I was born, I think my dad was like 26, you know, so it's like, I think maybe for that time, that was not a super young dad. It feels very young to be a dad. He married my mom who had like two, two older kids. So like, I think he really supported all of my interests and like, but even today I was just talking to him. He was sending me like screenshots of his like CDs and just super into music. So I, I was telling these guys last week, it's like having a career in music is like, you know, it's very, very hard. As I'm sure you guys know, and anybody listening to this knows, like you just, it is feast or famine up and down all the time. And if, and, and you will have your moments of prosperity, but they will probably happen in ways you're not expecting. And, um, at the end of the day, you just got to be a fan of music. And I really think that like my love of music as a consumer is what really keeps me excited about doing it, you know, cause it's fucking, it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. Well, it's just like uh, I've been in Nashville for for eight years and there's been a lot of ups and downs. 
And it always seems like when you are busy, you are busy. Yeah. You know, you don't have much time for anything, much, let alone yourself. Yeah, that's true. Um, but then it's like there are other times where you're just kicking around, working a job, doing whatever, just wondering, like, when is it when is something going to pop off or when is something going to happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, be careful what you wish for. Because it's like when you it was a couple weeks ago, I was super busy. I was so fucking stressed out where literally I was I took a gig um, like last minute. I also had a couple podcasts that week and it was just every day I was learning songs on my lunch break to get ready for this gig on Friday. We had a couple rehearsals booked, so it was just a lot going on. But yeah. It's in those moments where it's like, I feel so overwhelmed and stressed out, but then once I'm on stage, it's like, okay, it's all, all worth yeah, it. Yeah. This is why I do it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, man, there's definitely a, spe- I mean, I talking to, to these guys a lot, it's just like that twenties era period. I mean, that's just like, that's when you really, really grind and you really, really just do everything you can. Cause you really have like. I mean, everybody's lives are so different. So, yeah. but I just think, you know, if you, if you're in a position where you can just give everything to it, like that's the time to do it. Because I do think, you know, a, after a decade of that, that's when you'll really start to see, I think all that kind of manifest. So just going back to talking about, you know, meeting Cam and Tyler and all these different people, it was like, I mean, those are relationships that, you know, took a decade to, to really like manifest you know and and we were all kind of in it together so it's like Mm -hmm. i just feel really lucky so i feel like that was ultimately what made me want to move i was you know when i was talking to you guys earlier about like living in kokomo i just felt so i feel like i grew up there at such an interesting time where i had access to so many like creative people that like really inspired me but then obviously at a certain point i was like okay i really want to do this for a career and I'm not really sure where to go from. This is like 2005, so it's like early days of internet. I kind of, I was like, okay, well, I could go to Berkeley. I don't know if I want to go to school for four years. And then I learned about GIT having like, and at that time, I mean, I was just such, I was just such a dumbass. Like I like, I moved there and I was like dating this girl, and I was like, I'm only gonna go here for six months, and I'm gonna move back. And then I had a friend who was just like, What the fuck are you <laughs> saying? You gotta stay here, man. You are supposed to be here. Right. Yeah. And I was just like. Thank you. That's a good friend. That is a really good friend. Thank you, Trevor. If you're if you're if you're listening, um, and, and we my, know you are. Yeah, T Bone. Shout out to T Bone. Um, and uh, yeah, my younger brother obviously at that time was very supportive. I mean, going back to my dad, I I just think like he really was like my I I just I just feel so lucky to have had such a strong support system around like my family, my friends, like everyone around me, and they still are. Like yeah. they still like are so proud and like celebratory and it's like and it's and I think the more time goes on the more appreciative I am again as cliche as it sounds but it's like the more time goes on the more I really really appreciate it well I think there's something to be said for having that support system because I my dad is kind of similar to your dad where he's just like he told me when I was 13 when I first started playing music and doing all that stuff he just said figure out how to get paid for it yeah he's like figure out how to get paid for it like my dad, he was in the Navy for 20 years, retired from that, became a shipyard worker. Um, and he's like, I have like a blue collar background, you know, and I feel like that really put a different mindset in me for the way I approach music. Because mm-hmm. it's just at the end of the day, like it's fun. It's so fun to be able to do it. But it there is work that you have to do and you have to get the work done to be able to even have the moments where you get paid. You know what I mean? 
Totally. And I, I was actually hanging out with somebody the other day and I was talking about, you know, there's like there's like the whole philosophy of like anything worth having is worth suffering for. And there's a misery behind every job. And and and, and I mean, I really think that that's true. And I think the inherent misery of a creative life is just the ups and downs, feast or famine periods. Yeah. You know, so it's just like I think the early on you can really align yourself with like what you want to do and what you really believe in and you're down to suffer for it. That's the real shit. Cause you know, even listening to these ICP interviews, they're just like, man, the minute they're just like, we just, we never stopped, you know? And they're like, you know, and and they were just talking about, it's always fun. It's still fun. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel too. And, and it's like, I know that there's like an inherent misery to it all. But, but, but like I just said, I, I think that the, like there has to be some suffering. Like you just can't, that's what, like, like my dog, I have this dog and she's like such a pain in the ass, but I like love her so much. And I realize like the amount of companionship she gives me, I can't just have it for nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got to deal with some bullshit. And, and so I, I think my relationship with my dog has oddly like really reaffirmed everything I'm saying. It's like, you just can't, if you're like in a band and you're doing, man, if you are lucky enough to like do your own music for a living, I mean, there, there's like, that is such, or to get to even do music, it's like, that is such a gift to be able to do that. But again, like any job, and this is something I think it's important for people to realize, because I'm sure you guys probably have friends that you talk to back home and that, you know, people's tone sometimes when they talk to you, they're like, they're like, oh, you know, well, I would give anything to just do music. For, and I'm just like, I hear you. Yeah. But like, but are but, you sure? I don't know. Yeah. You know, and like, because it's, it's like, there's, there's parts of it that suck just like anything else. Oh yeah. Like it's a Absolutely. job. And there's know? no security. That's, no. the, that's the thing. Like, you know, it, you're going to get paid for this. You can count on this thing. You can, I was just talking to my CPA today and I, she was like, Oh, well you might need to start putting some money away for this. And I'm just like, I have no way to predict anything Yeah, right. at all, you know? And, but I just, yeah. It comes in waves. Totally. And and I know, but the thing, something that I feel like I've been talking about a lot recently is like, I feel so lucky that I've gotten to be a part of these like big records and sort of experience some, some little micro bits of success. And man, and all those things that I was involved with, whether it was like Harry's house, Cam's song, Burning House, the song Apple Pie that I, that I um, produced with Rafferty. I fucking love all those songs. Like, I, and I remember like when, Tyler showed me uh, Cam's song Burning House on his cell phone. He just played me the little, and I was like, that's the shit. And I like picked up the guitar and I kind of played. I was like, I can tell you're trying to play this little slide thing and here's how it goes. And I was like, man, like, and at the time, now I would definitely expect to do something like this. But at the time, it was a big deal for me to say, like, yo, I'll like, I'll do that for free. Like, just yeah. let me play it. Like, obviously, like, if it makes it on the record, We'll, you know, we'll figure out I can get paid by the union, but like, I'll just, I'll come in. I just want to be a part of this. And I remember doing the session twice because the first time we did it, they had the mic flipped around. So I remember I had to come back and do it a second time. Oh. I was like, great. I'll play it a thousand times. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. So, and even the same, obviously like there's other things that aren't that much work and you'll, I've been mean, talking to these guys. It's like, you'll put a million hours into something and then it'll be the thing like, man, like on my guitar playing and as it was, that was maybe like a couple hours of my life. You know, we're like, there's songs that I've put years into and gotten nothing. And then some things you put a couple hours in and then, you know, you get to be a part of like some of the biggest songs in the world. Yeah. Well, it's yes, it's a couple of hours, but also it's the decades prior. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. I think I was talking about that with a friend recently where like, 
I feel like I say this all the time where I'm like, I was talking to, cause I feel like I'm having conversations constantly, but then I can't always place like who they're with. But I remember talking to this other songwriter and I was like, like, I think like, yeah, it's, it's the decades of time that you put into something. So I feel like had I not sat in my studio for those years and long hours, just doing whatever the fuck I was doing, I don't think I would have gotten that opportunity. For you, sure. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, or I, I I don't know. It's like, like, I don't think I would, if I would have just sat on my ass until the moment that Tyler like hit me up to play on the song, I just don't think that would have happened. Like, I think it's all the crazy amounts of work and building and building and building that, um, you know, I think unfortunately people who don't do this sort of thing, like it can be hard to, but I don't know. I, I feel like the more time goes on, the less, it's not that it's not romantic, but people who are, who have big aspirations in sports or other industries, I, I think there's I think there's parallels. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's just like with with music again, nothing is a sure thing. It's like you moved out to L.A. What like tw- almost twenty years ago yeah. now? Yeah, and that's technically like when things started for you. You started down that path. Yeah, and it's just now you're finally. I don't want to say payoff. I feel like payoff is the the wrong word, but you're seeing the fruits of your labor. Yeah, I I think um, probably what feels the most evident to me in that way is I feel so I am I I have a, a really great manager and I think that she has been helpful in connecting me with a lot of new people. So these people come over to my studio that I'm doing sessions with or whatever. And they really only know me at this stage of my career. So they, they just kind of see my affiliation with this stuff. So that's kind of all they see. And it's like, which they don't is, know you down in the trenches. Yeah. yeah. They don't know all the suffering. No, but, but, but I think it's implied. I think everyone goes through that, Yeah, you know? So I, I feel sure. it, it's like anyone that comes around, it's like, it's not like if they're showing up to the studio, chances are they've been doing music a while or they're like, active whether they're they're an artist on a label or they work with a publishing company or they have something going on so like they they definitely are hip to like what's going on yeah and and so i think i feel like the if if i were to feel like the fruits of my labor i was sort of sinking my teeth into them in any way it's just more so that i think i'm meeting new people who only know me at this stage and that's really fun i i i really enjoy that because they're just like oh you seem like they come to the studio and they're just like you have it all. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, but I don't, I definitely don't always feel that way. But I, I will say that like, um, I, I really, every day that I go to my studio, I love it every single day. Your studio's badass. Thank you. I, it's I, cool. I, what is the name of your studio? Mount Molehill. Oh, nice. And I have an Instagram for it and all that, but I, I've just, I've been so terrible with all that stuff. I mean, I, 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 at one point I wanted it to be like a label I, and, and I know people come over and they, and they, they maybe ask about that, but the social media stuff, I, I think I was talking to you before, like, it's like if I had some, I just, sometimes I have months where I have so many ideas of what to post and things to do. And then other times I'm just focused on working. So I just don't do things. And I try to like, for better or for worse, like I just try not to force anything. Yeah. It's just never really, I've, I suck at it. Like every time I've ever tried to like conspire to like, connect the dots with some person or, or go somewhere to hang out. And like, I, like, I remember going to like networking events in LA and I was just like, I hate this. Like, and not, and I, and there are people who do that and they're really good at it. And I think those people like doing that. And I'm not saying that I don't like doing it. I just, it's so important to me to be myself and I'm just not always feeling like that. So I just sort of, I'm like, I don't know. I just try, I just, I always just try to be honest with myself. So I think with the studio, and like we were talking about earlier, 
I think when people come around, for better or for worse, I think they start to feel like that. I think they feel like they can be themselves and they can be open. And I say for better or worse, because just like when you're like in that producer chair, it's almost like you're cutting people's hair or something. You know, like when somebody cuts your fucking hair and all of a sudden you just start telling them all your secrets like shit you wouldn't even tell anybody. You tell your hairdresser a lot once they get deep in the haircut. Oh, my God. I tell my hairdresser shit. I've never told my parents. (laughs) Like and like well, I and I don't think I tell my I would tell my parents a lot of things, but like. I just think with the the studio is such a vulnerable vulnerable place. For sure, it is. So I just think it's like for people to like, and you're so, and in my case, like, which I definitely dream of having a bigger spot. But like, you're just you're kind of in each other's faces. So totally. like, you definitely got to get strap in and get cozy. Get comfortable, yeah. Get cozy. And I've ever like every time we come to your studio, I always feel like that. I always feel like we're able to, because we usually I feel like we all start off we just have like a little powwow. Sure, and, of course. Know, have a good conversation. You yeah. know what I mean? Get the just like the vibes going. Yep. Have a little powwow and then just all hands on deck. Yep. What are ideas? Let's get to work. Yeah. And we don't stop till we all feel like it's good. Yeah. And I, I love the attitude and I love that you can speak freely. Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that. And I think more importantly, I feel really great that you guys feel that way. And obviously, yeah. you know, I so I yeah, growing um I, we didn't I mean you're you're a little bit younger than me so I wouldn't have really known you in Kokomo but but Dustin um I worked with his dad at Sound of Music. And so Sound of Music I think I've talked about it a few times it's been there god for a long time. I long think time. I think they maybe opened in 1984 if anyone from there is listening and I'm wrong definitely just give me a spanking, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh it's been around a long time yeah. and so Dustin McKee's dad Tracy I I worked there and we did some gigs together. Yeah, he was he was a fun guy. So I definitely remember uh, Dustin, as a little kid, I remember like rehearsing at their house, and his dad like kicking Dustin out of his own room so we could play <laughs> his drum set. Not, I, I think we might have been playing with Andrew Rossborough at that time. I'm not sure, but um, you know, it's been really cool to like then reconnect with these guys at this stage. Yeah. We're like, we're all we're all out here, you know. Like we left Kokomo, and we're right. There's a few casualties along the way. Oh yeah, there, well there usually is. Yeah, usually because I remember we first met. In Kokomo, we met briefly one mm-hmm. time. It was the Kokomo Hall of Fame or some something like that. Yeah, so no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So it was at Johanning Civic Center. Yeah. I, I actually don't remember meeting you, but I remember yeah. you telling me that we met. And oh, and, and uh, I remember that event. So I, I got paid like $200, and this was like the Indiana Automotive, the Kokomo, like it's like the Kokomo Automotive Hall of Fame or something yeah. like that. It was some sort of, and my, um, I know my dad and my grandma both spoke at it at one time. I my I have a grandfather that owned a um, auto parts business, a great grandfather actually. He it was called Accurate Parts, and it was like a automotive parts business in Kokomo. So that my great grandfather he was inducted into that Hall of Fame. And wow. so when I was there, when you were there, they had asked me because I was like part of that legacy. They had me and I just like put on a looper pedal. I remember playing like head over heels. Yeah, by you were t- playing by yourself. Yeah, yeah, which I used to do that kind of thing so much. Um, and yeah, you know, they, they made like, it's funny. I remember they made like a little poster to put behind me while I was performing and it said Charles Douglas Showalter on it. They like <laughs> flipped my first and middle name around. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I uh, I was there because I worked for the radio station in Kokomo, and there was a old disc jockey that was getting inducted. Yeah, and I remember at the time, Burning House. Yeah, was such a big song, and we were playing it constantly. Everyone yep. was, and uh, 
what always made me think of that riff was it sounded like Metallica yeah, to me. Yeah, well, and it's funny you say that because I remember when Tyler, again, sort of the first time I heard it, Tyler had a recording on his phone yeah. of him writing the riff. And I was like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like nothing, nothing else, else matters. matters. That's what I thought too. Yeah, and it's so funny. And what's so amazing about that song is like it really kind of, you know, as we all kind of navigate through music, it's like, you know, everyone's just got their little fucking rules, you yeah. know? And like the rules really don't mean anything. And I think that I am so proud to be a part of a song that like defied all that. Cause it has like this long intro. There's like a bar four and a bar three. And it came out in like the summer. It's like a acoustic ballad in the middle of a hot ass summer. So it was just like, it really just showed you like, great music will always win no matter what time of year no matter who it's with it's like and i just think yeah it was just it was literally like overnight like it was just everybody loved it and and i just i'll never forget the first time hearing it and just being like man like this this is it so again going back to what i was saying before about just you know you try all this stuff just anybody listening that's like trying to like make music work or if you if you are passionate about something that you want to you want to wake up and be proud of what you're doing every day it's just like it's definitely really really tough but i i think if you really work hard at the things that you feel great about i i think that those things will pay off but they'll just pay off in a way that like you may not expect i say that saying that like i knew how great this was the moment i heard it but i obviously had no way of knowing what kind of success it could have sure you know yeah, well, I think the the big changes that we make along life, and it's not even true for just music stuff, but it really happens after you get your teeth kicked in pretty good. Yeah. And you get knocked down, and you're like, okay, I'm never doing that again. Whether it's a relationship, a job, a living situation, whatever it is, and it's like you almost start off completely new. And in life, there are times when you're going up the mountain, there's a very brief time where you're at the top of the mountain yeah. and then there's times where you're falling down. Yeah. And I think for me, like what I've realized now being, being in my thirties is you don't always get to pick when you're at the bottom of the mountain, but you, sometimes you can pick to go back down and mm. like start over again. Yeah. And I think there's something really sacred about that. Yeah. Uh, Cause every time you go back down, you have the experience of hiking already so it's like you have the muscles built and the higher you go to keep this metaphor going the higher you go it's like you're breaking new ground every step of the way yeah totally there's a really there's a an audio book that i i remember listening to like 10 years ago and it was called the dip by seth godin and um it kind of talks about just like this whole idea and i you know what now that i'm talking about it i don't even know if i fully remember what the book was about i just know the idea of the dip i believe was just that kind of like, because I feel like when you first start something, like when you first move to a new town or you do something, you make all these friends, everything's super exciting. And then there's like the long haul of actually like building a life there and having some success. And I think the dip is yeah. that sort of like period that you're in for the majority of the time. For yeah. Sure. And I, so this book kind of talked about that. And I just, I remember that having a very profound, I'm such like a personal development, like junkie. Like I love just reading. I just finished this book called Big Magic. Um, and I, I'm just constantly consuming like books and interviews and podcasts. And I mean, there's so much of that now, which is amazing, but I've just, I've always just, because I feel like it's just fodder for inspiration to keep, cause it's like, you kind of need that to keep going, you know, because I think when you're younger and you're doing it, you're like around everybody. So you're like, we're in this together and everyone's like building each other up. And then obviously like 
as time goes on, you're kind of like your life becomes more complicated and you're trying to like keep that, keep the fucking train on the tracks while trying to like be this creative, somewhat reckless person, I think maybe reckless more in the work that you do. Um, so I just think I'm just constantly like gobbling up, you know, and then there's the meditation, the sort of the the therapy, the, the self-care, relentless self-care that I think goes into like, which I feel like most people like, would you say, I feel like most creative people are always kind of on that self-care shit. Sure. Yeah. I got to, you have, you have to be, cause when you're like, when I'm not, my mind just goes to really dark places yeah it's hard to make music too yeah yeah and you can make good music in like a dark place but but but, i mean i can even remember when i stopped playing with cam that was when i was like i had some money saved up and i just was like hanging out in the studio smoking so much weed no gigs you know and i just was like and it's around the time when i met when i when when you guys came over i was just like i never really had that kind of time to create Mm -hmm. in a long time like i i was like 35 and i was just up until like age like 23, 35, like nonstop gigs, nonstop working all the time. No time. I mean, I wrote and stuff, but not like I did then. So here I am in like my mid thirties in this like new chapter. And I just was like, I remember like having a lot of feelings about like leaving the band. Like, and it was more just like my own internal sort of like, did I make the right decision? Am I letting people down? Like all the kind of like the, the good old Midwestern river of shame you know, that kind of f- ever, you know, oh, yeah. flows through you. Yeah. And so like during that time period, I remember like I was in a very dark place and I remember writing a lot of music, but I was still like getting up early and practicing and cause you'd got to prepare yourself to be miserable. You know what I mean? You got to, tra- I was like training to be like a miserable fucking guy, you know? Yeah. yeah well, I think that the, the key to everything is, is really discipline at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's like as fun as music is, you do have to be um, disciplined anytime you're doing something creative uh as great as it would be to always because it was it's like you're kind of talking about i think there's the the bright side that you were talking about where it's like people only know you at this stage that you're at now but it's it's that river of shit that comes behind it in those hours that you put in um where you're never gonna get that time back in a good way you know what i mean you put in the time and you still continue to and i think that that's i know for me it's like I never regret, I've never once regretted any time that I've spent doing music, like ever. Oh, even if it's a gig I don't like or something I don't really want to be there for, and I'm like, fuck, how are we going to do this? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, well, because something will inevitably always come from any, I mean, and it's good. And I mean, and you want to reach a point where you're not just like, I mean. Grinding. Well, yeah, the, the grind is definitely ever ongoing. But I, I think what I'm saying is like, it's definitely good to have a disposition like I'm learning. I got something out of this. But then there's you definitely have to like learn how to avoid making bad choices and sure. and just, like like you know, you know, it's definitely good to sort of be glass half full and say like but but I, but I think what I'm kind of getting at is like you don't want to keep making the same mistake over and over again yeah. because you're like learning. It's like no, like okay, this this same thing has happened like 10 times in a row. I'm, right. I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm going to figure out, I don't have to say yes to this thing. I don't have to do yeah. it. And I, and I think in the, in the sort of uh journey of like gigs and stuff, I mean, I think that's, I definitely remember that. Like, I just remember being so stressed out about like how to approach like something in hindsight. It's like, Oh man, I should have walked away from that long before that, right. you know, but you just didn't know how to have that awkward conversation. And even now it's like, you realize like so much of the opposition is within yourself. 
like it's within your own brain. You're like, if you were to just have a very can, if, if somebody knows you and trusts you that you're being very like vulnerable and open, I think they're, they'll knowingly give you the benefit of the doubt. And if they don't, then fuck them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, at least, you know, you were yourself. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Totally. Absolutely. Well, it, it you seem pretty self, self-aware. I think uh, for a lot of creative people in for people in general, um, we don't want to necessarily look at the the ugly parts of the parts that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think I know what you mean. Like, I think the self-awareness is maybe more so just being in line with like what you like and what, and then, but I, but I also think that like, there's a trade off where I think you have to like, take care of your like like i'm like i feel like i'm saying all these things about like fuck people if they don't give you the benefit of the doubt or whatever but like okay but if you're that person that's that's hoping for that but you're also like treating yourself like shit yeah in whatever way you want to imagine that is i feel like that's maybe a bit of a goes against what i'm saying because it's like i think it's a give and take situation like sure like i think if you want to have like that self-awareness and be honest with yourself and be vulnerable and comfortable you also have to kind of love yourself in, in a way where, totally. you, where you take care of yourself like you, you eat well you don't you don't party too much you don't you know so so i mean obviously i i'm like anybody else i've definitely gotten wasted and and like done drugs and like had periods of like heightened self-awareness in those states and and i think like looking back it's like oh like i think i was a little too i think i was a victim of my own self-awareness in, in those moments. So that that's I kind of the exactly caveat what of what I'm getting at is like, I think that there, there it's a give and take where I think you, you have to like love yourself and take care of yourself. And to me, what my version of that is, is just not partying too much and, and exercising and just try and, and just, yeah, it, it never ends though. Like, I don't, I don't think you've reached, I feel like there's so many like cliche expressions. About yeah, that. there's well, no it, there's no top of the mountain. No, yeah. no. Well, it's it's the the journey, not the destination. Yeah, and and I mean, and and it's just um, I don't know. It's just I feel every day that goes on. Again, every day I go to my studio, it's a great day. Yeah, like it really is. I totally. mean, some days are more work than others. There are weeks where I'm there by myself, you know, and there are weeks where people are there every day, you know, and I'm just working my ass off, you know. But it's just, but every day that I'm there. And I, and I don't know, there was a time in my life where I, I wasn't sure if I would ever feel that way about anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that, like clarity of like, I love this. You know, the kind of clarity you have about like your favorite song as a kid or even now. It's like, mm-hmm. or how much you love a shirt or if you're, or a relationship that you're in or just, or friend, like you're just like, man, just forever. Like I, I right. fucking love you. You know, or like how I feel about my dog. Yeah. You know, it's just like when I'm at the studio every day, I feel that way. And so I'm just, and as time has gone on, you know, I, I just feel really lucky that like stuck it out and I don't, I don't really know what's next for me with, with the studio or like, but I'm just, I don't know. I used to sort of the whole business side that didn't come very naturally to me, which I think, would you say that I feel like a lot of creative people, that's a Absolutely. tough thing. Yeah. For yeah. Me at least for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that that is true. I, for me, I feel like I, I'm a little bit different in that regard just because I've always like had business and sales related jobs. Sure. So I, I always had that like mentality where I knew like doing sales jobs, you pick up the phone like a hundred times a day. You're lucky to talk to 10 people and two of them say yes to whatever it is you're trying to sell. Yeah. So I learned it was that way with music 
as well. And I learned it was that way with like dating, you know what yeah. I mean? And trying to find, and then even then, is this a right fit for me? Mm. Um, and trying to figure it out from there. And like, I would say for myself too, and I think this is true for most artists, I have a very self-critical inner voice. Yeah. Um, and as I've gotten older now, I, le I learned how to love myself, but that was something I really didn't know how to do. So I was just verbally abusing myself constantly of shit that I was fucking up. Or, and I can still get that way a little bit sometimes. I mean, Josh knows. Yeah. Of where, cause well, we, we, all, we all do. Yeah. Just, you're do. hard on, we're all hard on ourselves. And I mean, and I think that's, we, we learned that behavior yeah, somewhere. For sure. You know, from yeah. our parents or from who else, who, somebody. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't think, it, I mean, inherently, I think we, I don't know. I don't, I don't quite know enough of the, I guess, the science behind like that's what, where the self-criticism comes from or, or anything like that. But yeah, but I, I, I think it's, you just, you, you constantly push yourself for sure. And it, you, and, and there's a balance. You don't want it to be so unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. You know, it I, was unhealthy for me at one point. Yeah. Even today it made me think I'd filmed like a little video of me just playing licks yeah, to a backing track. And yeah. I, would do I like kind of thought out of what I wanted to do and then record it, then listen to it. And I'm like, I'm not happy with this. I'm just keep critiquing myself to the point where I'm like, I fucking suck. Like, yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you, like, like, you go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I cannot yeah. play. Like, am I yeah. just, can, can I not just do this? And yeah. then finally, it just, you're like, that's just going to have to do because it's whatever. Well, yeah. and, you know, and I, I think sort of the, the bright side of all this is that even if you were, I think a lot of the greatest people have that perpetual imposter syndrome yeah you know i feel like there's them there's that movie comedian that jerry seinfeld did i it's, it's been a while ago but there's this scene where he's talking to jay leno and like how jay leno there's this story where like apparently jay leno like never spent like any of his tonight show money and he like set it aside and, like, he, and then after he would do the tonight show this is what i heard um he would like go do like a stand-up set every night and he never spent any of the Tonight Show money. And Jerry Seinfeld is like, he's like, you act like like one day you're just you're gonna lose your job and you're gonna have to be a plumber. And he's like, oh, you still know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's just like, whoa. <laughs> like, there's a there's a great uh, episode of the the Louis Show the from FX. Yep. Where he was. Um, up for replacing David Letterman. Oh yeah. Do you know this episode? Yeah. Isn't yeah. Da is David Lynch? David Lynch is in it. Yes. Yeah. 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 I I definitely have seen all those episodes. Yeah, but it's it's so good because it's he goes through all the phases of like doubting himself, not wanting to do it, just being like, why are they talking to me? Finding out he has no shot anyways, and then he's like, okay, well I'm gonna do it anyways. I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. And that it ends where it's like a two-parter where yep, he doesn't yep. end up getting getting the gig, but he costs Letterman I think a couple million dollars or something like that. And sometimes when you're doing creative stuff, you just have to take victories. You have to find the victories in whatever it is that you're doing because it's ne it sometimes it's clear cut. Yes. Yeah. But. For most of it, you're you're having to figure out where your wins were, and some sometimes just breaking even is the victory in itself. Where yeah. you're like getting away from a situation, you know what I mean? Where it's like this is not right for me. I just need to back away from this slowly and not make any sudden moves. Well, and everybody kind of has their own definition of how hard they're willing to work, and and I mean, and there's just such a myriad. I mean, I'm sort of I think because of where I come from, like working hard was always like. That was always easy for me. Like my dad even told me recently, he was just like, he's like, you have more self-discipline than I ever had, you know? And like, I was like, well, thanks dad. My question is, do you think 
being from Kokomo affects your uh, discipline with working? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, because Kokomo, like, historically is like a factory town. For sure. You know, I, I feel like it its heyday has come and gone, I think. But um, funny enough, like, my, nobody in my family worked at any of, like, the Chrysler plants or anything like that. But my dad ran his own business. My mom became a mom at, at like, 18 or 19. She had my sister when she was a teenager. And so my mom, like, and she really didn't, I was talking to her last night. It's like, she really didn't have like a safety net. She had to work like all the fucking time. And my dad ran his own business. So I think I really learned from them, like the value of like working. And then I think also with, especially when I discovered guitar, it was like, I was like, well, I like this. And Pete and I, and I think like anybody, it's like, it got me some attention. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I like this. Like, I like this attention. And I was just like, and funny enough, I love doing it. So I, I do think that like, Kokomo plays into all this I think in like I was saying before we're living there at a time where I think there was just like a lot of creative people um that were just so generous with their knowledge with me and teaching me a lot and inspiring me and just and on their own accord with or without me making amazing music that I just thought was every bit as good as anything I was hearing on the radio or on the internet at that time and so the work ethic part of it I mean I played sports I played high school football um, I think my dad really was very like methodical in the things he would like sort of the activities that I would be involved with. So I, I think it was a combination of sports, having parents that worked really hard, um, and then also just a love of doing it. I think all of that, I, I do think most people that I meet like from the Midwest, like especially Indiana, I do. I mean, they're just fucking workers. And that and that's 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 that can not always be a great thing because they're sometimes like, people will work you to death. And if you love, especially in music, if you love working, it's like you just, it's a lifelong pursuit of just figuring out boundaries and like what, but at the end of the day, man, regardless, you just gotta be fucking good. And if you're good, like you'll figure out like how to navigate all that stuff, you know? Well, I think a big part of the reason why I connected with the reveal so much, um, cause we, we met pretty early on in our Nashville. Yeah careers because we played at blues jams together and yeah. I, like i met dustin um like one of the first times that i went out to play and um they it seemed so similar like it felt like i was home in a way when i was yeah. around them because I'm, I'm from a very similar place to kokomo where are you from uh, originally from maine so okay. i i grew up like everybody's dad worked at bath ironworks they built battleships for the navy so everybody was gonna the, say like bath tubs made yeah. of iron I'm gonna take me a nice warm iron bath well hey on the, on the battleships they have uh, iron baths i imagine but but yeah I, I had connected with them really i think because they had such a great work ethic i could tell right away um and it's like th that's kind of what uh the the sniff test is for me and even even danny you know i knew he had a great work ethic too and it's just like i tend to try and surround myself with people that are are worker bees and mm -hmm. that are always trying to do something um and setting their sights somewhere and even if they don't get there they're trying to mm -hmm. and that's something that has always gone a really long way for me with you guys um and i think that was a big part of the reason why i connected with them so much plus they would tell me all these funny stories of back uh back home and it just reminded me of of where i had grown up so it's like being in a new city not really knowing anybody and feeling like shit like i'm just one in a million here um i didn't feel so alone yeah you know so i think kokomo in a lot of ways it's like a 
Like, uh, hopefully one day it'll adopt me. You know, I'll, I'll never live in Kokomo, but I've never been to Spain, but I sure do like the music. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I know before um, you had me down in the basement here, um, you were talking about, like, Kokomo stories and stuff, and I was definitely, like, racking my brain on just sort of, like, and I think probably my favorite story that I'll tell is I was... So in Kokomo for a long time there was a skate park called DK Skate Park. Oh yeah, yeah, and I know the the reveal had when you guys were No Name Blues, we were no the name artist blues. formerly no, known as No, no name, name Blues, blues. yes, artists. <laughs> and uh, so at that this would this would have been in probably like 2000, 2001 or something. And like I remember going to a show there and there was a band playing there and they were a death metal band and they were called Rupture Christ. And these guys were like old school like death metal and they had like their whole show i later and i still have it i wish i would have brought it but they had like their whole show scripted of all the stuff they were going to say it would say like okay play song then say all right motherfuckers are you ready to you know like kiss to kill each other you know and they yeah. had one of the, i remember one of their songs was called macaroni and afterbirth that was one of their songs. And so they, yeah. And so they're playing and I'm like, this is sick. And I'm like moshing. And there's this dude who like was being such a dick in the mosh pit. And he was just like flailing his arms around and hitting people. And I was just like, and it's so funny. I feel like even when I go to shows now, I know better, but I always want to be like the mosh savior. And I'm just like, if somebody's being a dick, I'm like, no, uh, yeah. I will protect the pit. Get out. The patron of the pit is yeah. me. And so I definitely was feeling myself that night. And so I like went up to that guy and I kind of like started moshing with him. And I just I just hit him really hard. And then he like hit me in the face. Damn. And then it like everybody just like a bunch of my friends saw this happen. And he kind of started like walking the other way. And I just was like, fuck that. And I just charged after him and just like speared him like from behind. The band threw all their instruments down and like it was literally like a pile up of like 20 people. Like my girlfriend was there at the time and she was like, get off of him. Oh my God. And everybody's just like hitting each other and it's just crazy. And then eventually it all ends and like. At DK's. Yeah, DK's. There's just like this massive pile up to rupture Christ, you know, interrupting macaroni and afterbirth. Damn. And then my friend, um, Will Barry, who was like another musician, um, I I remember him coming up to me like a couple weeks later when I was working at Sound of Music and he was like, he's like, bro, I have footage of that night. He goes, it's so funny. It was just like the band's playing. All of a sudden you just see Doug with a Goldberg spear go Froom! and fly across the camera. And so it was definitely like a proud moment of just like, I wasn't going to take any shit. What a legendary place. <laughs> yeah. Very legendary place. Yeah. The guy's name, his name was, was Dan. Yeah. Work downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dog like this. He was such. And looking back at all that, it's like, man, what a life to dedicate. I don't. I didn't know anything about him other than just he just was kind of like this old punk that yeah, like ran that sure. skate shop and like he let bands play there. Like yep. I don't even think they took any money. Right. I think you got all the money from the, the money, show. Yeah. It was just like, I mean, what a way to live your life. And I and I mean, I think they were open until not. I remember meeting people in L.A. that like worked in the business, and um. The business of like skating right. and skateboarding, and they like new DKs. Yeah, like it's kind of like a legendary it was place. A, yeah, of course they did. Because I remember, um, I feel like everybody had a period of time like tried to skateboard. Mm -hmm. I feel like I definitely, I did. definitely did. Yeah, and uh, my cousin Tristan, his dad would take him and I to DKs, and I just remember so many times where Tristan and I just eating shit. Do you get called posers? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's because I was not a good skater. Yeah, same. I don't <laughs> I don't think I ever. You might have put more effort. I mean, I remember like 
putting enough effort, effort to where like you would put like the skateboard on your feet and you would just like it would be upside down and then you would like jump up and flip it over yeah. and jump on. I remember being able to do that. Right. But I think I was like definitely like too scared of like hurting myself yeah. to even try. But I, I definitely got a lot of love for like skateboarding culture. I mean, obviously, like a lot of things, I think it's 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 sort of grown like in popularity. And I and I think obviously like there's like a lot of great music adjacent to skateboarding yeah. and, and stuff like and art. So it's yeah, I, I love the culture of it. Yeah, I was always uh, I did uh, a little bit of skateboarding, but I was always afraid of like breaking an arm or breaking my hand and not being able to play music. Anymore. I feel I felt I feel similarly about like riding a bike, like riding bikes. Have, like I definitely have like this fantasy of being like an old man in a biker gang. But I'm like I'm very I think at that point I may not be really worried about like if I decide to do that at whatever point in my life, like right now it wouldn't make sense because again, I don't want to like mess up my wrists or my hands yeah. or anything. That's kind of like what steers me from doing like boxing or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think every decision I've made in some way has gone back to like, is this going to interrupt music and being able to play gigs or do whatever music related? And do I have health insurance? Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's another real thing, man. Like, uh, like for a long time, there was years where I didn't have health insurance, yeah. and I got really sick, and I had to get a job basically so I could get it. Now, now I've been looking into joining like the musicians union and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'm basically I'm still working a day gig, and it, it's great, and I I, I love it. it. It is fun. I get a massive discount on gear. Um, I won't say where I work, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's also like. I'm turning down working opportunities to be able to have insurance. And it's like, I, you know what I mean? It's like trying to weigh out what the best option is. I just got that upright and I'm, I'm super excited for that. Uh, just because I'm a beginner at something again, yeah. like it's brand new to me. That's an instance where I chose the bottom of the mountain where, I, where I wanted to be at the bottom and I want to do that uphill climb. Yeah. But that's a roundabout way of me just, blathering on but. well but i and i think that whole conversation of having a day job i mean i don't know i feel like there's some there's like some famous author that was like a mailman i don't i don't know. charles bukowski that's it yeah i knew it mm -hmm. um yeah i mean there's that i mean I even re reading this book recently the author she had like a day job for a long and she's just like man whatever it takes to, to keep doing to it. keep doing what you want to do and i mean and i think you know, maybe for, and at the end of the, if you love it enough, you'll make it work. And if yeah. you have trouble making it work, I mean, I don't feel uncomfortable saying, I just don't think you, you wanted to do it enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, as cruel as that may come across, it's just like, and again, I, I, I want to be like sensitive to like everybody's situations are so different. So I'm sure that there are people that fall into situations where they would probably love to do it more and their life circumstances just don't allow it. So there's exceptions to, to all of it. But I think that there's like, definitely just people historically that have like they've they figured it out you know yeah well the the older that i kind of get and josh and i were talking about this recently i i made this choice in my life to play music so early on where i've been playing music longer now than i, I didn't play music yeah yeah and really it's a lifestyle choice as much as it's a career choice yes okay yeah um but it's a lifestyle it choice. It shows you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. There's there's no other choice. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you guys feel the same way where it's like, what what, what else would I do? Because sometimes I think about leaving, like maybe I would leave Nashville and go somewhere else. And then I have to check myself and I'm like, do, do I really actually feel that way? 
or is it just like I don't got anything going on right now and do I need to get to work you know what I mean yeah I well and I think something that's sort of a a beautiful thing about our modern world is like if you really want to do something I think you can make it work from about anywhere I think that that you know living in a place like Nashville you they, they if you do music there there's a music industry presence here and then so you kind of there's like a the music industry I think definitely has like a language and I think that there are resources and, and even from like a technical aspect, it's like you can, there are stores that can help you like build your studio where you maybe somewhere else that you move. Maybe there's like a small store somewhere or you could order shit from Sweetwater. But like when you live in a place like Nashville, you have access to those things and those kind of people. And and again, I think just the, the sort of, there's like a professionalism that's kind of understood amongst people yeah and um i think that if you moved somewhere else that that would go that yeah would, that would go away and, and i think it would probably Absolutely. be romantic because i think about it too funny enough yeah and uh and i think that it, you would just have to be very committed to maybe you wouldn't have to do something else but it, you would just have to really adjust yeah i think if i ever adjust did, your expectations yeah yes. for yeah. sure um if i ever did leave i would probably go to denver maybe but i i lived uh in colorado for like a year i I'm honestly, I'm not going to leave Nashville. My dad lives here and mm. like all my family lives here. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's another thing that's, that's so funny to think about because most people, they don't have their families here in Nashville. Right. And like I moved here, my aunt and uncle have lived here my entire life. And then right before the pandemic happened, my dad moved here. So I have two sisters. One lives up in Connecticut and one lives up in Florida or down in Florida. So I don't get to see them very often, but, um, like Anytime I want to see my dad, I can just call him and be like, hey, you want to go to dinner tonight or do you want to go to a movie tomorrow? Whatever yeah. it is. And um, just having a support system, I think, is so huge, kind of what you were saying earlier. Oh, yeah. I, I think – and I mean, I'm very envious of that. I would love it if if my family – I mean, and that is something that I think as time goes on, like, becomes harder and harder. You know, as, totally. my, parents, as my parents get older. It's, it's um, hard. And then my siblings – I mean, I don't have any kids, but, I mean, my younger brother has three little kids. I mean, my, my oldest niece is about to turn 30, and they're having a big party for her. She just got married. Um, you know, I couldn't go to my sister's wedding. I There's just all – you definitely – when you make the choice to sort of be about yourself – you know, you, that, that's a sacrifice that you, that you make, Yeah. you know, that yeah. you, and I mean, living in LA, it was like, I did, I missed a lot of stuff, you know, and I would, I would see my family like twice a year living in, in Nashville. I don't go back as much as I used to in like 2019. I mean, man, I feel like Joanna, my girlfriend and I, we would drive up there like once a month for like a show or to go hang out with friends or do whatever. And again, that was to Kokomo. Yeah. yeah. Or oh, yeah. Indianapolis. Like okay. a lot of, like my brothers both live in Indianapolis. A bunch of my friends move there now. So like Kokomo, there's my parents. Um, one of my oldest friends, Adam Neer, who runs Stoney's Pizza, lives there. So I, I like to go see him. And we still do some work together. It's cool. Like, I mean, I've done some work for Adam. Um, a good friend of mine, Winston Howard, is a musician there that I've like producing some music for. So I've, I've always kind of kept my toe in Kokomo a little bit just because I feel like it's it's important for me, especially like the busier I get with the outside world of music. Like those relationships become really valuable because I think it's like, there is a sort of like we're in this together mentality for a long time, but at a certain point, you're all just fucking grownups. And then, yeah. and then if you're like interfacing with all these new people, it's like it's really, really awesome. But those relationships are new and you don't like what you, what you guys have is like you're like you've been in the trenches together for so long. Hell yeah. You yeah. know, so and you'll probably be friends forever. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, but then sure. along the way, you'll meet different people that'll sort of be a part of your life in a new way. For sure. And you don't have that. That's not to say, I mean, you know, I think if you choose to, you can 
continue to meet new people and make friends every day. Yeah. But I think that like, obviously there is something to be said about like those people that you've known for a super, that you've gone through the, the suffering together. Oh yeah. Give them. Are you guys cool if I take a piss? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, man. I so bad. I thought you were asking to hit my thing. Yeah. I thought you were going to too. And I even like before this interview, I was like, I wonder if they'll like, let me go pee. I don't have to pee. Okay. But, uh, I definitely thought about that because I definitely have to pee like all the time. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, uh, my relationship with Josh and I probably have, I would probably say about six or seven friends where it feels like that, where it's like we were down in the fucking trenches. Yeah, and, and 10 years from now, those people will probably still be, even. I just think when you, it's like the people you kind of grew up with as child, you know, like your childhood friends. Totally. High school friends. And then even like this chapter that you're, that you're, yeah. this journey that you're on, like, those are definitely like when you go through that shit together, like it's it's really like I think it just impacts your life in such a way where you're like you kind of have that forever to bond over. Yeah, well, th- there was this very clear moment I remember. I was driving home one night, leaving the castle. Did they ever tell you about the castle? Mm-mm. So the castle is where Josh, Dustin, Danny lived there. But basically, there was how many dudes were in there, Danny, at the castle? Uh, at the end, there were nine. Nine so, dudes in the dude castle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was always fun because it was just a place we'd go over and like smoke weed and hang out and all that shit. But um, I had this very clear memory because there was a period of time where I was pretty much like playing gigs, doing Uber and Lyft, and then making money in random odd jobs different ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this clear cut thing of like driving over to the castle or maybe I was driving home and I, I talked to about it with Josh but just like it was pre-COVID it was right before all that shit went mm-hmm. down this is maybe 2019 and I just had this this realization like we're never gonna have this again um, not that it was anything other than this is a passing moment in our life and it's like these are the the salad days in a lot of ways even mm-hmm. though shit sucked and we all hated it and were miserable shit salad y'all yeah it wasn't just salad <laughs> but <laughs> I, I look back on that time very romantically um, because I, I could even tell at that time that this is not going to be replicated again because one day we're all going to have like girlfriends or wives or kids and just staying up till 4 a.m. smoking weed at the castle talking about nothing, conspiracy theories, whatever it was. It just felt so special. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's great. That, I mean, there, I think I feel like the, the I hear that kind of it, it's not to pin. I feel like that's when you're really going through that, those struggles. Like, I think then once you're kind of over the hump and you're doing the thing, you look back at that as like the greatest time. Like, the, the t- I mean, I, I think about that all the time. Like, the times where I feel like I didn't, you didn't have anything and you just were really trying to figure things out and you were just having fun and you weren't really like taking things so serious. It's like, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a pretty like, it's a very beautiful part of the process that I think a lot of people reflect on in a similar way. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that at the castle, especially. It was a bunch of creatives all kind of together and uh, anarchy. Anarchy, yeah. Yeah. So I remember Danny when we all lived together. He was like, we would get up at like nine, eight. We would usually be yeah, the like one the of the first, first ones. ones. Like sometimes seven. The only ones with jobs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would, we would, much. we would wake up and, uh, Get the day going, like kind of just start talking, start yeah. telling jokes, start smoking weed, yeah. start you know, yeah. doing First all thing, that. Yeah, smoke a blunt. Yeah, like Tristan everyone. would be up with us, and yeah, it would. Uh, 
those were memories that um, at the time, yeah, you're kind of just figuring it out. Yeah, and the, and when you were when your way we were talking about it, it's like definitely. I know for me, it's like I'm sort of forever bonded with so many of these people that like, and it's and there's different phases of it. There's like the Kokomo phase yeah. of going through it, and then like I said, you, I mean, you're just so fortunate that you have someone in Dustin that like, you know, right over there, Dustin in the can. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like to you've gone through those multiple phases with. You know, yeah. like it's like that. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, so we've, so, we've gone through a lot of different phases. Yeah, and yeah. you're, and I don't think you're done. No, going. There's more no, phases there's ahead. More phases to be had. But, oh, but yeah. you know, just you know, we were talking. You were talking. You had interviewed Wally and like how Wally Walgren, the drummer, and how like you know we sort of went through that together with Cam. You know, yeah. it's just like you're just sort of forever sort of bonded by these certain periods, especially when you're like touring and stuff like that. It's just like man, you're sort of you're def. I mean. We were really lucky. I think in the beginning there was like some real trenches, but then you know once Cam started to experience some success, we had buses, and I mean it was we were just very fortunate that we got to like, you know, you were definitely in each other's space, but you definitely could like retreat to your little hole. Yeah, you know, I I touring, I did some like get in the van sort of stuff, but very minimal. I I did. I mean, I know a lot of people whose sort of entryway into music was through being an artist. Like they they got signed to a deal or they did something like that. And then that kind of led to them being a songwriter or producer or whatever. And so I think that's just such a whole different journey. They're like where you're really like schlepping it out. How did you end up playing like on Harry's house? And like how did that relationship start? Sure. Um, so Tyler Johnson, who um, I've talked about a few times in this interview, um, just a really good friend, um, somebody that I've known for a long time, and he has been involved with all of Harry's records. And so in 2021, they were working on the album, and he just hit me up, and he was like, hey, I, we've got a couple songs that would love to have you um, just do some stuff on. If you want to play some guitar, if you want to add some production, whatever it is you, whatever you think. Um, so one of those songs was As It Was. And so I got the session um, and I just sort of spent a Saturday like do, basically I, I was explaining it in this um, talking to somebody yesterday. Like I think my work with Tyler, Tyler worked um, as was an assistant for Jeff Basker, who um, an amazing producer and songwriter. He's and a he, great producer. Yeah. And he worked with Kanye West. And I think the influence of Kanye through Jeff through Tyler, I think sort of like, cause I think when you play guitar, like you do like session guitars, you're like, you come in and you play and you try to get like a perfect performance and all that. And then when I started working with Tyler and then what he was kind of learning from Jeff, it was like, Oh, like we can actually like kind of sample the guitar mm -hmm. and fly things around. And now I feel like that's super common to do. But I think my sort of thought on that was like the idea of sampling yourself. So when I, when I, do I don't do a ton of sessions, but like I feel like when I when I work on music that I'm producing or if I'm doing something with somebody else, I'll typically just get a good sound going and I'll just hit record and just go. Mm -hmm. And then in the case of as it was, I actually found my original take and literally the in the main part that I did was in the second verse. There's like these delayed guitars and I played that part one time in this jam and I just flew it or I pitched it up in Pro Tools to the right chord. And, um, and it's a combination of four tracks that are all just individual samples that I then like reamped through pedals. And so the opportunity just sort of came through having a relationship with Tyler. He was working on the record. I think they were trying to figure out what to do with this second verse. Um, 
And I was just really grateful for the opportunity. So, and then my involvement with some of the other songs was more, I, I do a lot of, um, I just love sampling and just like making sounds. So whenever I'm working with the band, I feel like I, I can definitely engineer and like kind of produce everybody. I mean, Josh is definitely such a great sport and I'm just like, we'll do things so many times. Mm-hmm. I'll be tying shit around the guitars. I'll be like, he'll be playing. I'll be holding other strings while yeah. he's doing it. Like just to get it to sound perfect. And, uh, but then my favorite part is when we can just like, and I think you kind of came over when I was messing around with that. Like, yeah. Like I'm just, cause that particular song, we were just like, what can we do here to make, to add some substance or some creativity to it? And so yeah, when, when I met you guys, we were kind of in the middle of that. And that's like my favorite part is to just like, it just takes me back to the days of like smoking a lot of weed and messing around and like trying to sort of find the right thing. So the right color. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah and, and, and I think it's like, you you're always pull like it's so funny when you're writing a song i mean it's like how the brain is just sort of like like kind of piecing everything together it's really an accumulation of all the music you fed into your brain so like sometimes i think when people are working on stuff you really just have to look at like well what do i listen to like what do i like and if if you fed that little hungry monster in your brain like cool stuff i think what you're going to hunt for is going to be something sick you know mm-hmm. and um I think in the case of those, my involvement with that album, I think it was like, I'm just so proud that like I played guitar on it. I did some like drum machine loops that are on there. And there's just, I kind of was involved with it in different ways where um, I kind of got to bring multiple facets of myself to it. And, and again, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this interview that like, you know, people, when they look at an artist like Harry Styles, it's like, well, that's as big as you get, you know, but like, I really feel like they made an amazing record that, and I and I think a lot of artists at that level are making music with a lot of depth and it's very vulnerable and honest and so the fact that like yeah it's amazing to be a part of such a great record and I and I think but everything that I did for it I'm so proud of I would have been proud if that would have ended up anywhere yeah yeah you know so I think just the opportunity came from I mean I met Tyler in 2006 we really started working together in 2009 Fast forward to 2021, and and we had worked together. I mean, we, I, we worked together on Cam's albums. We had done a bunch of other stuff with different artists. I mean, just lots of hours together to where I just felt so grateful that he trusted me to to be a part of that, you know. And then that's you know, it it, feel, it felt great at 40 years old to be a part of the biggest record I've ever been a part of. Yeah, you know, I I really it's you don't really think about that stuff when you're younger of like where you're gonna be. Like I'm just like by 40, I'll probably be fucking dead. I don't know. You, know, you, don't, you don't think about it. And then yeah. you get there and you're like, oh, I'm just as excited as I've ever been. I'm as good as, I'm better than I've ever been. Yeah. You know, so I just, yeah, I know it's kind of a long answer, but it was just like the way I went about it was like any other day where you're just hitting record and trying things out and then flying stuff around and then running it out through pedals. And at the end of the day, you're just trying to make, I was telling this to somebody recently, like whatever, it was another producer, kind of like a younger guy. And I was just like, man, whatever you do, just don't be like everybody else. Like make your shit, sound like no one else because that's mm-hmm. always what people are looking for well you look at the greatest producers of of all time you you can go down the list whether it's dr dre or uh phil specter who, whoever it was yep. they all had their sound my favorite producer yeah. is uh, my all-time favorite producers are pharrell and ross robinson I don't think I know who Ross Robinson he is. He produced like the first Slipknot, the first Corn, okay, the first gotcha. Biscuit, like very and then he also did like At the Drive-In, um Glassjaw. He did a Cure album. Um 
bunch of stuff. Very the, raw sound. The one fun fact that you showed me with every, like, I don't know if it's every, but Pharrell Williams songs, yeah. they all start off with, like, the- Accountant. The, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I 100%. Know, I know. I um I had an intern at my studio earlier this year, um, and she pointed that out to me. She was like, did you know that he does that? I'm like, and I start pulling up all my favorite Pharrell songs. You, you pull up, duh, like, duh, yeah, duh. yeah. <laughs> duh, 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 at the beginning of that Kendrick yeah, song. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it was like kind of, and I and I actually started doing that, like when I would like do sessions with people, I would always do that. I, I've kind of stopped doing it, but there was like a period where I was like obsessed. And it made sense because it's like, it kind of sets up the listener of what to expect in the rhythm. And if you yeah. really look at like, because I've spent so much time, because I love heavy music. And I want, and you think back to like all the heavy music that was the most successful it's co- coincidentally that stuff had they were great songs, but there was something about it that like people who maybe wouldn't have listened to Metallica, they there was something about it that they could get, mm-hmm. you know. And so when I'm working on stuff, I'm constantly just trying to, and I feel like we talk about this all the time, like um, just the way the music is presented. It's like okay, it can be heavy and it can do this, but but if you okay, if we want to be this abstract, another abstract rock band, like there is a lane for that. And I think that's amazing. And I think people should just be honest with themselves. It's like, if that's what you want to be, be that. But if we want this to be something that can kind of tap into something bigger, like we, I think there's a way to tailor it that doesn't sacrifice anything. Like it it, it can vary. Because again, looking back at like Burning House, it's like that kind of defies all the laws of of, of tradition. It defies a little Primus shout out, you know? And like, but there, but again, you had like, who doesn't love an acoustic guitar, yeah. you know? And, and then on top of that, like people love things that are well played and well executed. I mean, I've, I've definitely heard stories of, I've met so many people. I remember speaking of ICP, I remember we played this show once and this guy, he was like a, we were, we were somewhere like in Florida and you have all these like guys that work for like the local road crew. Like they kind of come totally. in to help push all the shit around. And this guy was like, man, I love Bernie house and I'm a juggalo. <laughs> and I was just like, even the juggalos fuck with Bernie House. Yeah. We've done something right. Right. Well, Doug, I think that's the perfect spot to end yeah, it. Yeah. Shout out to the juggalos out there listening. <laughs> Where can people find you at? Yeah. So um, you can find me at Instagram. It is at Douglas C, as in catastrophic Showalter. That's at Instagram. Oh, on Facebook, uh, my full name, Douglas Charles Showalter. Um, but yeah, Instagram is definitely where I feel like I you can you could find me the most. And then um I have my own original music under the name Octopotamus, O-C-T-O-P-O-T-A-M-U-S. I make thrash pop music. And yeah, just very lucky to get to work with lots of great people here in Nashville. Doug, thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me in your basement. Of course. Josh, where can people find you at? Uh, Everywhere, the underscore North, N-O-R-F underscore poll. Follow my band, The Reveal Music, on Instagram. You got any shows coming up? Sunday's a big machine. Sunday's a big machine. That's what we have right now. We have some. I will say this. I don't want to a uh, officially announce it yet, but we have some big stuff coming soon. Yeah, yeah. We'll have some Ori- big, original shows. Original right? shows. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 Well, Rally dudes, the troops. That's right, <laughs> dudes. Thanks again for coming on. Keep on dreaming. See you next week.